Hello everyone, thank you for listening to today's message. My name is Pastor Dwayne Light, lead pastor at the Life Point Community Church. What you're going to hear today is a message from one of our recent services. And we believe that by listening to today's message, you're going to be blessed and encouraged from the Word of God. You're going to be strengthened, and we believe that God's going to speak to you in a very fresh, new, and real way through today's message. So thanks again for listening. Be blessed and encouraged, and we love you. God bless. So hopefully that didn't offend too many people this morning. If it did offend you, it was Dwayne's idea. If it didn't, it was mine. So, um, but it seemed the perfect segue into what I wanted to share with you today. And um, that is, it's really easy for us as believers to come up with excuses of why we can't do what God's called us to do. You know, whether it be I'm not good enough, the life I've lived was not good, I've made mistakes, I'm not smart enough, I'm not old enough, I'm not rich enough, I'm not talented enough, I don't have time, you know, the the list went on and on. We can all come up with excuses um, not to step to the calling that God has put on our life. Um, But today, I'm here to squash all those excuses that you made. After today, you don't have any excuse not to do what God has called you to do. Um, so um, it, it's funny that you know, I, I gave this little this little message a very simple title, and it was and it's yes, you know, God, you know, God can use you. And after the fact, I told Dwayne. Of course, this was after everything was printed. I said I really should have named it "No Excuses." There's no excuses. That's just how simple it is this morning. So um, my prayer is that I can communicate in a way um, that God has put it in my heart. That I can just get it out this mouth the right way that you can understand it and apply it to your life this morning. So we're just going to jump right in. And I want you to look at your bulletin. And this is your first fill in the blank right here. And this is what it says. God's purpose is accomplished despite our unrighteousness. No matter what you've done, where you've been, I'm here to tell you God can still use you today. There's no excuses. The second fill in the blank is this, and it goes right along with it. God uses broken people to bring about his perfect will. No matter broken you feel, how messed up your life has been, God can use you today, and we're going to dive into his word, and we're going to see some people that came from some very questionable backgrounds, and God used them in a huge way. So you have no excuses today not to step into the calling that God has put on your life. Um, I've always been um, intrigued uh, with the lineage of Christ, um, and the fact that God chose to mention five women in this lineage. And a few years ago, actually, our, our ladies on Wednesday night, we actually went through the book, The Lineage of Grace, and we talked about these women in the lineage of Christ. And, um, and I've just always been very interested um, and amazed at who God used. Um, first of all, um, in, in those times, women just weren't mentioned in the lineage. They wanted to know who the father was, who the the patriarchal lineage were, who were the great, you know, prophets and and uh, men of God that were in the line, you know. Um so just to mention a woman of all at all was a big deal. And then secondly, um the women that were mentioned in, in this lineage, you definitely wouldn't want to bring them up. 
um, especially being this is the lineage of Christ, the lineage of the Messiah, the promised Messiah that had been promised for thousands of years. But God chose to mention these women. Now, I know I'm talking about women, but I promise you what I'm going to share with you today applies to every person in this place, whether you're male or female. So men, don't tune me out because this applies to you too today. So if you'll look in uh, Matthew chapter 1, now um, (laughs) Tracy so graciously put all this really long scripture in here for me. And she said, Donna, I think it took like 18 slides to put this up here. And and what's funny is... um, Tracy, now I've decided to skip around a little bit, maybe not even read the whole thing, but, so, but I appreciate what you did. Anyway, so, uh, so Matthew Leip, while you're up there running this whole thing, I'm just going to tell you, what, or you or Daniel, whichever one's doing it, yeah. We might skip around a little bit, so just, just follow me. If you look in uh, Matthew chapter 1, it starts right off by saying, there, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and Abraham. They are immediately mentioned, David and Abraham, great fathers of the faith. wanted to make sure that you knew that. And, and they kick it off with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And then if you look down in verse 3, it says this. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, you may or may not know the story of Tamar. But I'm going to tell you about it here in just a minute. But she's the first woman that was mentioned in the lineage of Christ. If you jump down to verse um, 6, it says this. Salmon was the father of Boaz, oh, whose mother was Rahab. Now, in many translations, if you've read very often, you know, it, it, more times than not, it says Rahab the harlot. How would you like to be known uh, by that name the rest of your life? And then right after that, it says, Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. The next verse, verse 6, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba. Oh, by the way, the widow of Uriah. I want to make sure you know she was a married woman. Then when you skip all the way down to the bottom, the last verse, verse 16, it says, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So those are the five women we're going to talk about today. And you may think about some of them and think, oh, they weren't, they weren't so bad. But we're going to see maybe some struggles these women had, maybe some struggles you might relate with that keep you from fulfilling God's plan in your life because it's a good excuse for you to use. And after today, not going to be an excuse anymore. We're going to take care of that. But th- so thankfully, looking at this, this is actually good news for all of us. Um, because if you look at our key verse today, it's 1 Samuel 16 and 7. The second part of it says this. Thank goodness. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at your heart. And I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that he doesn't look at the things that other people look at, the weaknesses in Donna that he looks at my heart and chooses to use me. And that's a big deal. And, I, and as believers, you know, I, I've told this to my praise team before. We don't ever need to view the calling that God puts on our life as a sacrifice. Because I'm here to tell you this morning, 
If God calls you, it is a privilege that he calls you to work for his kingdom. It is not a sacrifice. It is a privilege that he chooses somebody as lowly as me to be used by him. And, and I think we all need to change that perspective. I don't even like using that word anymore. Making a sacrifice to work for God. No, 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 no. It's a privilege that he chose me to work for him. And we should all feel that way. So we're going to jump right in um, and talk about Tamar for a minute. And first I'm going to get a drink of water. Now, there are two different stories of two different Tamars in the Bible. <clears throat> the, first, the one is about um, David's daughter. This one is the first Tamar mentioned. Tamar was a young Canaanite girl, um, and she was promised in marriage to Judah's oldest, Ur. And so she married Ur, and Ur was a very bad man. He was a not, nice, not a nice guy, and God was not pleased with who he was, and so he killed him. Men, be nice to your wives. <laughs> You're saying. So after Ur died, as Jewish custom went, Tamar was married to the next son. His name was Onan. And um, Onan was not a nice guy either. Now, as, as his obligation... Being the, stepping in and marrying Tamar was to give her children to bear the name of his older brother since his older brother passed away. Well, Onan didn't like that deal because he's thinking, I'm going to have kids. They're not, it's going to be like they're not even mine, and they're going to get the inheritance before I do, and I don't like that. So he decided, and this is how the Bible says it. <clears throat> he said when he was with Tamar and they were together in the bedroom, he would let his seed spill onto the floor. God did not like that either. So God killed Onan as well. So <clears throat> Judah says, well, Tamar, my youngest son, Shelah, he is not old enough to marry yet. So you go home to mom and daddy, and I'll call you back in a few years when Shelah's old enough, and you can marry him and carry on the lineage of Ur. So he sends um, Tamar home, and, and this is all a lie. He has no... He's, he's not going to bring her back, and he's not going to marry to Sheila. And probably some of it was just out of fear that he didn't. He's thinking, you know, Tamar's killing off all his kids. He doesn't want anybody else married to her. So he sends her away. Well, over the years, Sheila grows up, and Tamar hears, you know, she hasn't been called back to marry him. So she's going to take matters under her own hands. Not saying this is the right thing to do, but this is what she did. She knew what was rightfully hers, she knew what was owed to her um, through Jewish, Jewish custom. So. She decides she's going to dress. She's going to take off her widow's garb. She's going to put on the dress of a prostitute. She's going to go hang out on the side of the road. And when Judah is making his way to town, and he sees her on the side of the road, not recognizing who she is, just knowing that she's a prost- thinking she's just a prostitute, he propositions her, he sleeps with her, and as a result, Tamar becomes pregnant. Judah hears about it, and the first thing he says is, we're going to burn her. We're going to kill her. She's an adulteress. This is not happening in my family. Well, Tamar was a smart girl because Judah didn't have payment at the time, and he left his staff and his seal with her as a promise, kind of a promissory note for, for payment. So when he called her out on this and going to have her killed, she comes back and she says, hey, this staff and this seal belong to the man who's the father of my child. And, of course, Judah knew it was his. And at that moment, he was obviously convicted, too, of what he had done. And, and all Judah could say was this. This woman is more right than I am because she knew it was what was owed to her and I didn't do what I was supposed to do. So she's more right than I am. And Tamar goes on to have 
twins, and through those twins carry on the line of Christ. So let's look at a few things about Tamar. That is a paraphrase of Tamar's life. First of all, Tamar was a Canaanite, so that wasn't a great start anyway. The Canaanites were a pagan nation. They didn't believe in God. So she started out that way from a, a, a family of pagan people. She was neglected and abused. She was lied to by the men in her life. She was stuck at a dead end with no inheritance. But she was also determined. She was persistent. And she knew her rights as part of God's family. So now we are not condoning prostitution and encouraging anybody else to go out and get what you need by doing that. But <laughs> Tamar was desperate for what was rightfully hers. And because God saw her heart and the fact that she was a widow who was abandoned and uncared for, God protected her. Her family looked down on her, cast her aside with no hope, Yet she was desperate for what was rightfully hers, and she, she persisted to push forward to get what she knew belonged to her. We may have friends. You may have friends and family telling you that there's no hope for you, that you can't be used by God. You may feel alone and abandoned. But listen to this. God's son came through the lineage of Judah and Tamar. We should remember this when we think that we don't measure up, that we've made too many mistakes, and that we can't make a difference. God always knows what he's doing and can use anyone to accomplish his will. He values you as a human being. He knows your potential. He knows what he's called you to do. If you look in your bulletin in Romans 5 and 20, it says this, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. And that's a, it's that abundant grace that he poured out on Tamar in spite of where she came from, in spite of what she did to get her to where she needed to be to fulfill the call he put on her life, that abundant grace he poured out on Tamar. Her desperation resulted in the birth of Christ. And my question for you is this. What does God want to miraculously birth in you that you're making excuses for, that you can't do it because you're not good enough? You don't come from the right family background. Write this down. God can use someone who is desperate for him. How desperate are you for the Lord, this woman? Tamar was pretty desperate. And God used her in an amazing way. The first woman mentioned in the lineage of Christ. She probably never thought, thought never in a million years that would happen to her. So next we move on to Rahab, the harlot. The story of Rahab is interesting. It comes at a time when the children of Israel had just been delivered out of Egypt. They'd come across the desert and made it finally and God had called them to go in and wipe out the pagan nations, the Canaanites, the people who lived in Canaan because they didn't live for God, and God knew what kind of trouble they would cause. He said, go in and and wipe them out. So at this point, they're in Jericho. They're coming up on Jericho, and they've sent spies in to Jericho. Well, Rahab, obviously by her name, you know, she was a prostitute, and that was was her livelihood. That was her profession. And so as you came into the, the city of Jericho, 
Her house would have been the first ones you would come to. It was built into the wall. People had easy access. Travelers, as they came into the city, could get right into her home. And she was a prostitute, and she always also was a maker of fine linens and silk. And so because of that easy access, the, you know, the spies came in, and um, they went to her house and asked for refuge. And she agreed to let them stay there and protect them. Um, And that's a big deal, considering that she was of a pagan nation, and these were guys coming in who were going to come in and destroy her town. But she kind of struck up a deal with them. She said, okay, listen, I know why you're here. I know what you want to do, and I've heard of all the things you've been doing to the nations around us. But how about this? If I protect you and and I help you to escape the city without being caught, will you promise me that when you come in, you will protect me and my family? They said, if you keep your promise, you got it. We can work that out for you. And we'll know it's your home and by the scarlet rope that you're going to hang out the window. Make sure your family's all here with you, and, we're, and you will be protected. And they struck up that deal, and they followed through with it. So let's look at Rahab. Rahab was obviously defiled. Um, she was unclean. Again, she was a Canaanite. She's from a pagan nation. She had a very bad reputation, obviously. But on the flip side, Rahab was willing to forsake it all. She was willing to leave her comfort zone, the only home she had ever known. She was willing to sacrifice everything. She obviously had enormous courage to do what she was going to do. She knew her life was wrong. She wanted to be separated from it and identified with the people of God. She had a distinct call from God. He singled her out to work for him. Her faith was marvelous and unexplainable and could have only been revealed to her by the Holy Spirit. Um, I have a verse, and I I actually didn't put it in the original um, thing, so it's not in the bulletin, and I don't know if they can get it up on the screen or not, but you can just listen. This is what it says. This This is what Rahab said. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror, for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things, for the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. That had to have been revealed to her only by the Holy Spirit to a person that was raised in a pagan nation with no you know, relationship through her life with God. And that same sanctifying faith led her to a pure life. The scarlet rope that she hung out the window guaranteed her deliverance. The scarlet blood of Jesus guarantees our deliverance. The one-time harlot is now ranked among the saints. If you look down in James 2, chapter 20, uh, verses 25 and 26, it's in your bulletin. It says, Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. She could have made a lot of promises to save her family, 
but she did more than just promise. She followed through. She had the faith to believe God is who he said he was. She trusted he, that he was the supreme God that she had heard of, and she stepped out in faith. And because of that, she became part of the lineage of Christ. Write this down. God can use someone who has faith in him. It doesn't matter what you used to be, what your family background is, where you've come from. If you have stepped forward and have faith in him and believe he is who he says he is, God can use you. There are no excuses. There are no excuses. He can use even you. Rahab was, and so are you, well worth saving for the place you have in God's plan. He values you. You have potential. He knows the potential you have. So moving on, we move on down to Ruth. And you're probably thinking, hey, Ruth wasn't so bad. Well, let's talk about Ruth for a minute. The story starts off with Ruth that uh, it actually starts off with Naomi. Naomi and her husband and sons, they're from Israel. And Israel's in the middle of a famine. So they decide to move to Moab to, um, to find you know, work and food and the, and the provisions they need. So they move, and while they're there, her two sons marry two Moabite, two Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. But sadly, as time goes on, Naomi's husband dies, and both her sons die. So all that's left is her and her two daughters-in-law. And so Naomi decides to go back to Israel where she may have, you know, she has some family and she's heard the famine is over. She's going to head back. And of course the girls are going to follow along because they've married into um, the family. Well, Naomi tells them, girls, you know, I can't support you. There's nothing I have for you. Stay here, remarry, start new families, stay with your own family, Let, let them take care of you. And so Orpah kisses Naomi goodbye, agrees, and goes back. But Ruth steps forward and she says, no, 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 no. I'm married into this family. And I made a pledge and I made a promise. So your people are my people. And your God is my God. And I'm going with you. And so she went with Naomi back to Israel, a foreign land to her. And she, and she worked and helped support Naomi. And she was kind to her. And she did whatever she could to um, provide for, the, for, for she and uh, Naomi. And she goes out of the fields to glean wheat, and the field she gleans in is the field of Boaz, who is a, uh, a, close re- a nearby relative of Naomi. And Boaz, of course, takes notice of her, sees what she's doing. He becomes her kinsman or neighbor, which in the Bible was a close relative who would step in and marry uh, you know, a, a widowed woman who, from the family that he was a part of. And so he comes in, and he marries her, and he rescues her, and... It's a happy ending, and Ruth moves into the lineage of Christ with all the other women. So, so why is it so unusual? Why is Ruth so unusual that we should take a look at her life? Well, listen to this. First of all, Ruth came from outside God's family. She was a Moabite. She was not part of God's chosen people. She was homeless. She was a widow. You know, she didn't have anything from all... Um, other perspectives, she didn't have much to offer, but she was also willing to follow no matter what. She was committed to God's family, even with no husband or personal family support. Her husband was dead. The family she came from was going to stay in Moab. She was kind and of noble character. She was a hard worker, and she was the embodiment of what it means to be loyal 
And you see, God blessed and rewarded her by sending her a kinsman redeemer in Boaz to rescue her. And I'm telling you today that in our faithfulness and commitment to follow God, no matter what our family background is or what our past beliefs might have been, or even the lack of commitment of our spouses or family members to God, their lack of commitment to God, God will rescue and provide for us. It's real easy to say, I can't be used by God. God can't use me. I can't do what God's called me to do because my spouse isn't saved. My family doesn't believe in God. It's real easy to kind of cast the blame on them and make that an excuse for you. It's not an excuse this morning. Look at Matthew 6.33, and it says this, Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. See, here's the deal. When you decide to say, man, I love you as my spouse, I love you as my family, but I love God, and he's calling me to be more, and he's calling me to do more, and he's calling me to serve him, and you step forward in that, and don't let other family members be your excuse of why you can't be who God called you to be, let me tell you what's going to happen. First of all, you're going to be blessed, and God's going to move in you, and God's going to work in you. But more times than not, your faithfulness to God will make an impact on them. And in turn, I've seen so many times spouses and families saved because of the commitment of one person to step forward and say, I can't help what your decision is. My decision for me, I'm going to serve the Lord today. And that's what Ruth decided to do. She could have easily gone back to her old life, but she said, I made a commitment. I'm going to follow through and I'm going to do what I know is the right thing to do. God is not looking for excuses. He wants people who are totally committed to him, no matter what their life looks like. So write this down. God can use someone who is committed to him. And I think that's probably one of the biggest areas we um, battle with is commitment. We're committed to so much stuff in our life already. We get ourselves in circumstances. We're just committed to stuff. And when that gets in the way of us being committed to God, something else needs to go, and it's not God. We are called to faithful obedience regardless of the situation we live in. We are called to total commitment to God. No excuses. No excuses. These women we've been looking at, they could have had some pretty good excuses not to follow God and and step into the calling he put on their life. But they did it anyway. And man, look what they got for They got to be in the lineage of Christ. What an amazing blessing that they they never could have even dreamed of. What are we missing out on? Because we're coming up with so many excuses why we can't do what God's called us to do. All right, we're going to look at Bathsheba. Now I know... Most of you have heard about Bathsheba. They made movies about David and Bathsheba. Dwayne makes jokes about Bathsheba. And so I know you've heard about Bathsheba. So let's talk real quick. David's the king of Israel. He stays home when he's supposed to be at war. That's where he messed up first. He's being lazy. He stayed home. He's out on his balcony looking out over his kingdom. And his eyes fall upon Bathsheba, who for some reason is taking a bath on her roof. Can't figure that one out either. Either. And she's obviously lovely. She's obviously shapely. He likes what he sees. He gets his servant to go get her, bring him to bring her to the palace. He sleeps with her. She becomes pregnant. Well, she is a married woman. David's got to figure out how to fix this because he doesn't want anybody to find out that he is the king, has really messed up royally, right? So 
he decides to bring Uriah home. Uriah, you're such an awesome guy. Thank you for what you do. I wanted you to come home and have some rest and go, go hang out with your wife and just relax. Well, Uriah was a good man. And he said, no, my men are still out there fighting. It is not right for me to come home and relax when they're out there fighting the fight. There's no way. So he would not go home and sleep with his wife. So what does David do? Well, that didn't fix the problem. I'm just going to have to kill him. Sends Uriah back to, to war, has him killed. So now on top of adultery, now we have murder. Um, as soon as uh, they found out of the death of Uriah, he brings Bathsheba to the palace. He marries her. You know, hoping that'll cover it up a little more. But as with all sin, there's a consequence. And she loses the baby. The baby dies. Um, which is so sad to think of. But God had a greater plan, and that baby was fine. The baby was with him. But there all, there's always a consequence for our sin. We need to always think about that beforehand, don't we? Um, but David goes back with a repentant heart and, and, and you know, asks God to forgive him. And God forgives and restores and gives him another baby, and the story has a happy ending. So let's look at Bathsheba. First of all, she was an adulteress. She was immodest and indiscreet. She was taking a bath on the roof, for crying out loud. She was a willing partner in sin. Now, the Bible does not record that she was raped or forced in anything. So we're, we're going with the, th- the fact that we believe she was a willing partner in the sin. And she was probably very lonely because her husband had been about, away at war for quite a while. She gave in to the king's seduction and she became pregnant. And as with all sin, there was a consequence and her baby died. She had to bear that consequence, as we do, and the burden can be heavy, but the time to think of that is before we yield into sin, right? The Bible says we reap what we sow. If we sin, there's going to be a consequence. Well, because of the the death of this baby, David's spirit was broken, and we can only assume that as a mother, Bathsheba's spirit was broken as well, and her heart was broken. And in David's brokenness, he acknowledged his sin, and he went to God. And this is what he said. If you look in 2 Samuel twelve thirteen, the first part says this. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. So, Scripture doesn't say, but I'm confident that Bathsheba acknowledged her sin and, and went to the Lord, and God forgave both of them. So here's the deal. God will forgive, and he will restore, and he stands ready, just sitting there ready and waiting to pardon us for the things that we have done, if we'll just ask him. Because here's what happened. God restored Bathsheba, and she assumed the most prominent place among David's wives, and he never took another wife after her. And then God gave them another son, Solomon, who became one of the greatest kings that ever lived. And again, Bathsheba steps into the lineage of Christ. A woman who is an adulteress, made a bad decision, steps into the lineage of Christ. First John 1 John 1.9 says this, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful, and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. She messed up a lot. But you know what? She came back with a repentant spirit, and David, with a repentant spirit, and God forgave them, and he restored them. So write this down. God can use someone he has restored. doesn't matter what you've done before. You're a new creation. It doesn't matter how grievous your sin. God stands ready to blot it out. 
So just repent and accept his gracious forgiveness and restoration. And he will be able to do anything through you, just like he did for Bathsheba. So we said God can use someone who's desperate for for him, uh, someone who's committed to him, someone he has restored. And someone who has faith. And that brings us to sweet Mary. And in your mind, you're probably thinking, now, come on, there is nothing wrong with Mary. I mean, after all, God chose her to be this, the mother of Jesus. There's nothing wrong with Mary. Well, let's talk about Mary just for a second. Mary was a very young girl. She lived in a small town that was not very significant. It wasn't like living in Jerusalem or Bethlehem. Just a small town, Nazareth. Just an ordinary girl. The angel comes to her and he says, Mary, you're going to have a baby. And she said, no, 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 there's, there's no way I could have a baby. I'm a virgin. Can't be. And he said, wait, this is what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to conceive a child. And this child is going to be the son of God. And Mary says, okay. And she accepts it, right? Now, so pretty simple little story. Amazing story, but simple. So let's see. Mary was very young, first of all. She was probably really, if you look at Jewish custom, people say different things, but she was probably really only about 12 or 13 years old. So could you imagine, Kenzie? I know. Kind of blows your mind a little bit, doesn't it? To think of that in Mary, like little Kenzie. She was from an insignificant town. She was just an ordinary peasant girl. And because she was young, poor, and female, she was probably viewed as unsuitable by her people to be used by God. But on the flip side of that, she was also a woman of faith. She was devoted to God. She was remarkably brave. Think of a 12 or 13-year-old being called to undertake this amazing thing. She was remarkably brave. And she was a worshiper. If you've ever read the Song of Mary, often called the Magnificent, Her worship to the Lord is amazing, and she was so humble. Though Mary seemingly had nothing to offer, she was chosen by God to be a part of his plan. She possessed no wealth or inheritance, no fame or social status, but she was willing and obedient. If you look back at our key verse, remember what it says? The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. To look at Mary, most people would have thought, she's just a young girl. She's just a poor young girl. What, what, could, we possi- what could possibly be done with her? But God saw her heart. So here's the question. Can we submit to God's plan? Can re- we rejoice in God's plan? If you look... In Luke chapter 1, it actually goes into Mary's song. And I'm just going to read a few little excerpts from that. Because this is what, this is, when I ask you the question, can we rejoice in God's plan? This is what Mary said. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of me, a lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One is holy, and he has done great things for me. 
He has took notice of me. So can you rejoice in God's plan? Can you willingly accept God's plan? Even if it costs you dearly, your reputation, heartache, disgrace, suffering, or even death, because Mary had to deal with all those things. She had to deal with every one of them. So are you willing to possibly deal with those? Because this is how Mary responded. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. See, if we can just get, like I said earlier when I first started, if we get the point to say, wow, he chose me, even me. Just a lowly woman, never done anything major. But wow, he chose me. He asked me to do this. He asked me to lead worship on Sunday mornings. He asked me to teach a Sunday school class. He asked me to be over the nursery. (laughs) Really? He asked me to teach children. Wow, he wants me to keep the church clean. Wow, God's house. If we could change our perspective and quit making excuses that I can't or I won't, won't, or I'm not good enough, or I'm not rich enough, or I'm not talented enough, or I'm not old enough. God sees your potential when you don't, and he values you. And when you look at the list of these people we looked at today, they could have had major excuses not to be used by God, but they decided to say yes instead and push past all the stereotypes and the criticisms and the backgrounds and the stuff that just had happened to them along the way and to say, you know what, regardless, in spite of all this stuff, I'm going to say yes, Lord, And look what they experienced. What are you missing out on? Because you just won't say yes. Yes, Lord. Use even me. And that's what Mary said. So, God can use someone who's desperate for him. God can use someone who has faith in him. God can use someone who is committed to him. Someone he has restored. And the last one is, God can use someone who is just willing. Are you willing He's looking, he's not looking for ability, he's looking for availability. Are you just willing today? No more excuses. You don't have any left. And some of you might think you have some pretty good ones, and maybe you do. But no, when God calls you, there's no excuses. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. No matter where I've come from, no matter what I've done, no matter how bad I've messed up in the past. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And that's a pretty powerful spirit if it can raise the dead. It can do amazing work in you as well. See, these women weren't first choices by the human standard. But they all possessed qualities and character traits that allowed them to be used by God and step into an abundant life in him. And again... Don't miss out on the abundant life Christ has for you just because you've got a list of excuses of why you can't. Don't sell yourself short. So the question is, are you ready to be used by God this morning? Are you ready to get rid of the excuses and say, use me, Lord? Yeah, I'm a mess. I'm just a big old mess. But if you can use Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba and sweet little Mary, then you can use me.
and he can use you. So, Matthew, you'll come up and give me a little music. We're just going to take some time, and I'm going to ask you that question again. Are you ready for God to use you this morning? Are you ready to say yes and let him use you? So you just bow your heads and close your eyes. And maybe you're one of those people who you've been making excuses for a long time about why you can't be used by God. And this is for male and female alike today. Because male and female alike both make those excuses. They don't want to commit. They have an excuse of why God can't use them. But yes, God can use even you today. So maybe you're feeling that. Maybe you're a little convicted. Maybe you're feeling God speaking to your heart. So if you're in that in that position, if you're in that frame of mind and you feel like, yeah, you know, Donna, I've been I've been kind of saying that for a while now. I've been making up excuses why God can't use me. And you just want me to pray for you that God would give you the courage, the courage of Mary and the courage of Rahab and Tamar and all these other women to step out. And do what God's called you to do. Like I said, male or female. Just just let me know by just lifting your hand this morning. Pray for me. Pray for me that I would allow God to use me in what he's called me to do. Because I don't want you to miss out on anything amazing that God has for you today. Oh, Father, we love you. And I pray that the words I spoke made some sort of sense this morning and that it's poked to somebody's heart because I know how you put it in my mind and I know how you put it in my heart. But sometimes it's hard to transfer those thoughts to another human being. So I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, you would convey that knowledge. You would con- convey that message to those here today. And they raise their hand and they're, and they're saying, Lord, I want to be used. Give me the courage. Give me the direction. Show me what you want me to do. Father, I pray that you would just speak to them now and let them know that the first step is just saying yes. Yes, Lord. Use me. Yes, I'm ready. I'm willing. Just show me what to do, Father. Give them that peace of mind that you can use them and that when they do, they can expect miraculous things, Lord. They can expect amazing things and an abundant life beyond what they ever dreamed when they step into the will of Jesus and what God has called them to do. There's no better place to be than directly in the center of God's will. We know that. So Lord, maybe those who didn't have the courage to raise their hands today, I pray that you would continue to work in their lives and continue to reveal to them that you have a plan and purpose for every single person on this planet. There's not one, Lord, that you've looked overlooked, Father. Use us for your glory. Father, direct our paths. And help us to get rid of the excuses because there aren't any that we can make, Father, to contradict the fact that you have a call for us all to fulfill in our lives. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for this time you've given us. Lord, I pray a special blessing on mothers today. We ask all these things in the sweet and awesome name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, guys.